0: So when I continue looking at wise mindfulness or right mindfulness, whatever word you want, this quality factor on the eightfold path, which is the path out of suffering, um, this fundamental teaching of Buddhist psychology and the Four Noble Truths. There's just an endless amount, you could say, around mindfulness, Uh, and I want to, before we move on, to really focus on one aspect uh, called the three marks of existence. So we're looking at mindfulness in the context of the eightfold path as this bare attention, um, a non-judgmental moment-to-moment bare attention, We never practice that just for the sake of being able to focus our attention. We're always doing it in service of growing wisdom. Tricycle Magazine says it this way, according to Buddhism, we suffer not because there's anything inherently wrong with us, but simply because we misunderstand the nature of reality. So our mindfulness practice in this realm of Buddhist psychology is always in service of growing a wisdom into the nature of reality in a way that helps relieve suffering. And we don't just do this for our own sake. Um, Buddhism explicitly names that we do this for the sake of all beings. But the internal work we do here has impact and effect on what we are able to carry outwardly into the world. So mindfulness practice is also always in the name of compassion. When we spend time honing this simple, bare attention, non-judgmental opening to what's here right now, it's, it's like virtually inevitable that we begin to see into what the Buddha called the three marks of existence. These are anicca, anatta, and dukkha, um, the old Pali words for or Sanskrit words, I'm not sure which, <laughs> um, for uh, impermanence, non-self, And dukkha is that unsatisfactoriness that we've talked a lot about in the Four Noble Truths. So what I want to do today is really point at how this bare attention of mindfulness to breath really allows an opening of wisdom and compassion, particularly in the realm of anicca, impermanence. So in mindfulness practice, we most often start with the breath. We don't do that because the breath is the end all in mindfulness practice. We do it because it is so useful in so many ways, very practical ways. And just just as a beginning place, this um, service as an anchor to an untrained mind. So in terms of being an anchor for the untrained mind, what are we anchoring to? We're anchoring again and again to the present moment in the direction of all of those qualities of heart and mind that we name over and over and over. I really like the way Martin Nunberg names this. He says, we use the primary anchor to teach us how to be interested in the present moment. How to develop persistence and staying connected to the present moment. Once we begin to observe the nature of our minds, we kind of see how we have this fascination with past, uh, future, or fantasy, um, virtual reality. And this anchor of the breath begins to reawaken curiosity and a fascination with the present moment with coming right here right now and there is a kind of staying power that we begin to develop the more we develop this staying power the more all of that distracting noise of the mind starts to settle much like um, a glass with, with a glass of water with dirt in it If it's stirred up, it's very cloudy. If you let the glass rest, all of the dirt settles and a different kind of clarity begins to arise. With that kind of clarity of the distracted mind, the breath itself actually starts to change in its role. It's not just an anchor. It really then starts to become the teacher. And listening enough with this wise mindfulness, what it inevitably starts to teach us about are these three marks of existence. And I really like the way the Buddha says this again and again. Don't, don't buy anything I say. Don't believe me just because I said it. Go try it out for yourself. Find out for your own self, is this true? So here are some insights around breath meditation um, uh, from myself and you know, many others. There's nothing particularly unique in these findings. One, the breath is always changing. When we first start to practice with the breath, it can seem boring, monotonous. And in this stage, it's really normal to start to question, isn't this just a big waste of time? If we have the intention and stay through that period, giving enough time, careful, wise, kind attention, the ability to witness the breath and what's happening with the breath becomes stronger and clearer then we can't help but notice it's never the same. It is, in fact, always changing, always different. And there's a way that that awakens this kind of natural curiosity to what's unfolding in the body, moment by moment, breath by breath. These growing moments of learning to stay with the breath, really kind of honing our awareness of detail, we start to witness the changing nature of life moment by moment by moment, which becomes fascinating to watch it unfold right here in this body. And then, of course, distraction happens, too. (laughs) No matter how how much we hone, you know, there's always this other part of our minds that kicks back in. But with this kind of enriched curiosity of mindfulness, these moments of distraction become just as useful in the observation of Anicca or impermanence. We learn to see just as no breath lasts forever, always it. Opening in breath, out breath, we begin to see how no distraction lasts forever either. This is really, really helpful. Learning for our own self about the impermanence of distractions, of all of the fears, the anxieties, the worries, the angers, the impatience that we carry. The anchor of the breath begins to allow us insight into the changing nature of all of these two. So, in meditation, you might notice that one moment the mind's totally wrapped up in something that feels incredibly urgent or relevant, and the next moment it's gone, wrapped up in something else that seems incredibly urgent and relevant. And then maybe the next moment, there's just this flash of clarity of an out-breath and a letting go. It's kind of like this momentary glimpse of a different kind of sanity that exists underneath all of the noise of our minds. And when we start to taste these little breaks from the reactive mind, these little tastes of sanity begin to reveal a wiser way to be with what are often very legitimate concerns or needs in our life, in the world. And a way to do it that is far more useful than the reactive worried mind can ever pull off. So the more time we spend cultivating this honing of awareness of breath in our formal practice, the more it begins to feed a recognition, a recognition of impermanence in our day-to-day life as well. You know, one moment um, I'm sharing a moment of worry with one of my daughters, and then the next moment I see that it becomes a moment of joy with one of my daughters, What had seemed in the moment before like pure unsolvable problem begins to untangle into a flux where there are far more possibilities than any stable story, stale, stable storyline we might pull off of problem only. The more we do this, the more we start to see into the impermanence of our own life. Everything around us, everyone near and dear to us, and our own selves. Breath by breath, we begin to understand there was a first in-breath for each of us, and there will be a last out-breath for each of us. None of us escape that. By watching the breath, we change this fact that intellectually, we all know, you know, there's not a single one of us who really thinks we're going to live forever. Intellectually, we already got that. Watching the breath, we begin to change that into a felt sense of reality in a way that has cultivation of wisdom and compassion around it. That's what the practice is doing. It's allowing us to gain a wisdom that can look into the nature of all things, even the hard things, look into the nature of it in a way that changes our relationship with it, in a way that really begins to highlight a fundamental importance of the preciousness of life of this moment right now. I just want to say looking deeply into our own mortality, which this practice inevitably brings us to do, can be a really vulnerable place. Uh, and it's a place that without a certain kind of readiness really can overwhelm or shut us down. So we bite-size this work. Uh, we do it breath by breath instead of trying to take the whole thing on Um, in one fell swoop and we bring that growing wisdom and kindness into whatever arises as we allow our systems a kind of readiness to be with to be with this when we're ready to work with this there is something about working with our own mortality that can be remarkably freeing last week in our community group, I actually got reminded of um, an experience, an interesting experience I had with this a few years ago. Um, uh, And that was when one of my daughters and I took a trip to Paris and we went to the Paris catacombs. It was interesting. She was the one who wanted to go there. I was really worried about going there, thinking it would be kind of a ghoulish tourist trap. Um, But after reading about it, I decided I was willing and it was uh, it was stunning. Um, so if you don't know anything about the Paris Catacombs, um, they're the largest catacombs of anything like this in the world. Um, back in the 1770s, uh, Paris began to have a huge problem with overflowing old, massive overflowing old cemeteries. So they dug them all up. <laughs> and put all of the the remains down in these series of mining tunnels that were underground. One of the lead managers in doing this um, back in the 1770s decided that it needed to be um, done with a certain kind of care and respect and marked in a particular way. So he organized people, I think it took like three years to do this, um, to take um, thousands of I mean, maybe even hundreds of thousands, I don't know how many there are, six million people down there, um, um, of femur bones and skulls. And he lined um, these tunnelways with all of these femur bones and skulls and, he, and in a very artful way, he didn't just do it haphazardly. He did it with a lot of care and, and took whatever markers um, from the cemeteries that he could find and put them in um, along the way to mark the passage as you walk through this. So there is about a mile that you walk underground. Takes about an hour to, to go through all of these tunnels just femurs and skulls and these sayings. The sayings are things like, um, they were as we are, dust, the winds play thing. And I just want to put one more note in there. It was really interesting when I went through, um, and I can imagine that this is probably the most common experience. There was this natural atmosphere of quiet respect as people walked through um, that was also part of the, and I don't use this word lightly, the beauty of walking down through this place. Another saying, our days flowed like water. Some of them were definitely more stark. Fools, we speak from authority We who in the ocean of beings swam sadly muddled. We whose gossamer existence like the passing shadow begins, appears, and is gone. Last one I'll share. And so all things pass upon the earth, spirit, beauty, grace, talent, ephemeral as a flower tossed by the south, slightest breeze. There was something remarkable about not reading about people from past times. I mean some of these bones were really, really old, not reading about those people, but actually seeing their remains that was unmissable in its lesson. So too will be the truth for us as well, and it was also interesting how what could have felt um, morbid and depressing was really somehow beautiful, deeply, deeply moving for me. And that's what this practice allows us to do: is to come to a way to be with the clear nature of our reality that opens instead of shuts us down, that liberates instead of overwhelms. Actually, one last saying from from there. Wherever you go, death follows as a body's shadow. So when we can understand with wisdom and kindness the truth of that, then our mindfulness practice into coming to terms with opening to the reality of our own impermanence. That becomes one of the most liberating teachings of all. So let's pause here. I just invite you to notice whatever arises for you as you contemplate this nature of our reality impermanence. Wherever there is a resistance that's not ready to go there yet, honor and respect that. That's the patience and the readiness that we allow. And wherever there is something of this that allows a touching into this moment now, it's unbelievably precious. A gift. Feeling the life energy. The unearned gift of breath moving through this body, allowing space for whatever freedom is here.